I came home June 1967, 66. So I was orphaned by the time I was nine. I mean, yeah, he was a he was a he was a funny and engaging character, you know. Um, still is. Still is, of course, yeah. Of course, it's not an obituary, thank God, yeah. Like I, I, I often hear people saying that. I wish I could go home, it's not economically possible and all of this, you know. They mustn't want it enough, you know. I do, yeah. Dance with them many, many times. Because, like, I knew, knew that I was going to come home. I'm 22 years here. Do you mind if I record you? All my people were tailors. <laughs> I was born in London, yeah, but my people were from Cork. One of his favourites is a dance called um, Hurry the Jug. I had an umbrella, I was a very flashy dresser at the time. It's a beautiful dance. And I've, I'm still learning. I've done it many times, yeah. I don't say that everybody should be doing the way I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I've not been ruled by logic. And it took him 14 years to do that. <laughs> yeah. No two things are the same. Yeah, he's a wonderful teacher. If you ever go to a workshop... I put all my actions into coming home and having my kids, the first of four generations, born at home. Have you heard of him? Like, does anyone yes. know? <laughs> don't go that way. Go up the, go up the valley. It is a lot nicer there. He stayed many times in my house. Oh, OK. Out in North County Dublin. To the Penrose Quay where he and his family used to go, just to see other people leaving Ireland. Do you understand? So all the stories are true then, is that what you're saying? They're all true. <laughs> all true. The minute I stepped on shore, I knew I was going to stay. It was destiny. Wow, did that hit them down? You, you can't help but dance when you. A mile outside Kilcrohan on the Sheep's Head Peninsula in West Cork is the White House. I arrive late on Easter Sunday, a bad night, squally. I'm drawn towards the shed behind the bar by accordion music, plaintive in the quiet night. Breeze blocks, a corrugated roof, concrete floor and walls and a stage. Drink has been taken and the crowd is shouting. From the stage, an accordion on his hip, a man plays and calls the dances. I was orphaned by the time I was nine. I was born in London, but my people were from Cork. My father used to work with British Rail. And he used to get cheap boat tickets on the Irish Steam Packet Company, the old real English Fallon, which was a cattle boat. And since the day I could walk, I would come across that two or three times a year. And of course, when cattle coming out of Ireland, the boat would be nice and steady. When it's going back to pick up cattle, it was like a cock in the water, you know? So I got my sea legs very early. I cows in the fields and pigs and up and pony and trap around cock and... Oh, God, I used to be heartbroken going back to big London. Yeah. I remember one time, the Innes Fallon was due to say to go out of a Sunday night or something like that, you know? And I was around with my pals. And I bought a packet of players' weights, cigarettes. And we smoked a ten of them. And then I got green. <laughs> and we couldn't go back for a week. I was I was stretched in bed after it, you know. I was taken into care out in Gloucestershire. I was in London till she died. My mum died. And my dad died shortly after. So um, first in... Um, by the Maris Nuns in Nymphfield, very beautiful place, up on the Cotswolds. And then by Salesians in Blazon Hall, both in Gloucester. Now I'm completely irreligious. 
But I was reared in a very strict religious environment, Catholic environment. And that was over a period of, say, from 9 to 16. And, um, sorry, 9 to 15. Six years. Never once, never once was I or anybody that I was aware of in those two places ever compromised sexually or by brutality. We had a very strict upbringing, but a very fair upbringing. All of the places shouldn't be tarnished by a few of them. I've got nothing but respect and love. And went back and visited them on many occasions. They were very, very pious, genuine, honest, goodness people. And, um, and they became like the home to me. But I think it taught me to be a little bit more self-reliant. And I tell you, the funny thing is that occurred to me. When I was in, in London and going to school with all the peer pressure and kids and g- gangs and, you know, cowboys and Indians and that, I wasn't doing much good at school lessons. In fact, I was considered a, a dunce. I don't think I did particularly academically well in Nimsfield, my first cut. But when I came to Blaisden, my first term, I came second in class. My second term, I came first. And I came first for the whole year. So they put me up ahead, a year ahead of my time. Whatever way they educated you, they also motivated you. And I got top of every class that I went into, you know? Because I swatted a lot. I felt the purpose in swatting. You know, they set targets for you and challenges, both in the classroom and in the, in the field. They learned cross-country running and athletics and all of that. Then there was a routine there that you followed through. Um, they had a great library, uh, a, a wide scope of subjects, fictional and true, although my bent was towards history. That's when I started to read history, you know. And, uh, but Blazon got great academic results out of me, you know. Much to my surprise, because when everybody tells you you're dunce, you're convinced you are, you know. So a friend of mine had joined the Air Force as a bi-entrant, and I was kind of um, enamoured by the uniform and all the rest. And I joined up as a bi-entrant in 1961. And um, I was 17 and reading my history, you know. And I said to myself, why in, the, why in the name of God am I serving a foreign force? That's been part and parcel of the oppression of my country for 700 years. But I heard there was a scheme where you could purchase your discharge. And I was over in Germany at the time, a place called Goodisloe, the most northernmost um, Royal Air Force fighter command station at the time during the Cold War. And we're on a state a constant alert. So I know this is not much to do with, but it's a preamble to what's coming on. I to raise the money to buy myself out, it was quite a lot of money at the time, 350. I got a job working by day in the NAFI, got permanent night duty. I got my money together. But I was told my trade was understaffed, so this, statistically I couldn't leave. This dance to Jenny Ling, you know, in a lot of dances they're all so quickly. The element of mesmerism, mesmerism has gone out of it. This dance has that mesmeric quality. And the other, only other dance I find I get it is from the West Kerry. Lock, square, uh, house twice and lead around. It has that kind of repetition to get that mesmeric quality. Do you want to do the second figure? Yeah. Half left and right. Similar Remember to the one in the bar. This woman, she was scandal was dancing with 93. Ladies, always ladies. Doing the Jenny Ring. Lock, I don't go around the house. Square the set, though. That's Dinny. He's my husband. House now. That's me third husband. She got help us the other two didn't last long at all. Oh, Square. 
This is what the men have to do. And I met a wing commander. His name was Wing Commander Black, who was uh, one of the chief psychologists in Ryan Down. Now, I had the money to pay my way out. And um, so I told him my situation. He said he'd have me out in three weeks. I said, I'm not going out under, psych under psychosis. No, no, please, no. Don't worry, I'll have you out in three weeks. I had an umbrella, I was a very flashy dresser at the time. And my Sergeant Riley said, if you get out, because he was aware, and I always used to tell him, Sarge, I feel as if I'm a traitor to my country. Any order you give me, I'll obey, but I'm not doing it for your benefit, I'm doing it for mine. But he was a good man. He said, okay, so if you get out, will you give me your umbrella? I said, I'd give you that and a lot more. So one evening he came up to me and he said, um, where's the umbrella? And I said, it's over in my billet. Get it, you see, because you're out tomorrow. I was told I could bring so much luggage. And they flew me, imagine this now. Now they flew me from Goodeslow, northwestern Germany, away down to this assessment place in Rheindalen on the Dutch border and flew me back up again. God knows where it cost the British taxpayer. And then flew me from Germany across to a, a decommissioning centre in Lynham, Wiltshire. And what that cost? And they gave me six months wages. And I was discharged as being incompatible with service life and discipline, which is an honourable discharge. I could have come home on holiday and deserted, but that's not on my card. You know? So eventually, I knew I was on route for Ireland, coming home. And I was in London for a while. And when I came here, there was no music in Cork. Part of the job between trying to find it and get it took me 14 years. And the first time I taught it was in London, Cecil Sharp House. And it took me two hours to teach it, and I thought, was that 14 wasted years? <laughs> it took me 14 years to get it and two hours to give it. Four couples <laughs> face each other in a square and dance in, out, genteel enough. Round the house calls the man. He's on the dance floor now among the dancers. The couples join hands as if to waltz, but the music's too fast. They dip towards the centre and, clasped tight, twirl and dip towards the centre, all the time moving around the frame of the set. The speed is tremendous. Their feet bather a rhythm on the floor that I can't hear. I've never seen anything like it. The man calls house now. The dancers stand, flushed and thrilled, as the last layer of accordion music fades, and the man says, now we'll have some polkas. So eventually, I knew I was on route for Ireland, coming home. And I was in London for a while. And when I came here, there was no music in Cork. Nothing. It was all show bands, you know, and stuff like that. So, there was a folk club being run by Jimmy, Jimmy Crowley out in um, Nemo Rangers Club. And it was an oasis for me. I did everything to make sure I was at that. And I just was enthralled by, by the music I heard playing. And then out of the blue, he said, we're not doing it anymore. And uh, many people know me now recall it. I tried to block them from leaving. What? You, no, it's gone. Yep, it's not viable. We can't do it. So there was this void in my life. No music. So I started, got a committee together. and We started the Cock Folk Club. 
at, at that time, it was telecommunications were very, very bad in Ireland. There was something like a four-year waiting list for a telephone, and a lot of the exchange was a manual. So as the festival grew, my first love was traditional music, although I'm eclectic in my taste, but I have particular pride in that because having been born and reared in England, it was a big joy to me to be involved in our own traditions. And I used to have to physically go down to book people on the traditional sides, like Johnny Leary and all these people around, Jimmy Duggan, all these people. And I grew to know these people and to love them. And so when the festival would come up, we'd bring up the whole village in Ocknagree. The Cayleys were like a, an anti-clockwise cavalry charge. I didn't know the dances. But when the village in Ocknagree used to come up, everybody would sit down a huge circle in Conley Hall and they would dance out their sets and it used to be enthralling. So when they'd go away, there was no dancing. We had that music now established and everything. So what I did then is I went down with a group of people and we go down every Sunday to Ocknagree, to Dan Connell's. And uh, all of these people have done so much for us, this wonderful people. Many of them are not with us now. And when I'm speaking now, I'm not speaking about me. I'm speaking about the privilege I have of being given this stuff from these wonderful, open-hearted people. So we'd go down on a Sunday and we'd learn a figure from a set. And when they were happy, we had it right. And they used to turn out every Sunday and they'd, we'd be partnered with them. And, uh, and then I'd come up on a Wednesday and teach it in Cork City in the South Parish, huge classes. And, uh, and we also made a conscious decision at the start that would never have tape music. It would always be live music. But what was happening, musicians were getting fed up, stopped starting. So it kind of, the whole process was organic, you know, so I started to learn the accordion that I could play for the dancers, you know? That's my story. But in the course of it, we've traveled, I've never learned a set um, from a book. I've only learned it from the people that gave it to us because I'm a slow learner and um, I wanted to make sure if I was going to represent that set that I wasn't doing something that wasn't it. It's easy to talk about Irish music now because it's very popular but back then uh, you had to travel and you had to travel long and hard to find anything. It's all been published now, it's safe now. But again there was this kind of journey of discovery of coming home, roots and everything like that which is why I live here now because he is at the confluence of the three traditions I represent, Schlevelokel to the north, Cocker Green to the west, and Muscree to the south. It's such life and such age in it, you know, I love it. And the, the, one of the things I noticed that struck me has been incredibly powerful when I first saw my first set. And that was ex accidental. I went down to book Johnny Leary with Mickey Duggan to play at a festival in Nocknagree in, in Dan Connell's. And there was a woman there called Eileen Buckley, who's a friend for life for me now. And she picked me up and threw me around the floor. And that was the Slave Luke set, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know what she'd done to me at the time, but I liked it. In the polka, you hold your partner in an embrace, right hands clasped. You rock your upper bodies from side to side, moving your feet in a one-two step. He's on his feet, pushing the accordion in, out. Round the house, first couples to go, square. Lock on now, square. The rain blows in the door, drinks being spilt, the drunk are dancing. I listened to, uh, to a dancing in, in, um, in a farmhouse 
from when I was five years old. Right. And took a fancy to the box all the time. And this, we, uh, my, boss, my first little single Roman origin to be 1950. Okay. It cost um, £6.76. So it was in the key of D, and I couldn't play with fiddlers at all, so I didn't get a different one then. But anyway, but I'm, I'm kind of at it since. It was up in the, in the ball and valley, where it's sort of the home of good music, you know, and the Mealock as well. And they all their sets, so they are the dances were in the house that we sort of stayed in. See, my mother was a teacher in the Barlin Valley for 40 years, and during the war years we used to stay in Jim Cronin's house, as they call it, and uh, over the weekend we'd be left there. And we, the dancing would be on Wednesday and Sunday night. Wednesday night, just from 9 o'clock till just 11. Stop out the door. Sunday night, just from 9 o'clock until 12, the minute the midnight hour started. And it didn't matter what part you were in, when 12 o'clock stuck, you had to stop and go home. The old lady, the host, that was the rule. But it was very, very good, like, and they all appreciated it because you had no dance halls that day. Then dance halls opened up and it kind of faded out. And then it came back again then about the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, the, the, the Rin, the Rin, Rin, Rin boys, you know, was very popular in the valley. And uh, I, I speak now to, to go with me, I take my family, my younger children with me as well. And there was a man from, cousin of mine from New Zealand came. He wanted to meet some Irish music. I said, be it, come Holler Bridge at half estate and Stevens' morning and you'll see. What. So we were out playing and from house to house and then down to the pubs in Bentry. Went into a wedding there even. The, 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 the following we just danced the set, danced the set, and all the wedding people had three sets in the floor in the West Lodge. We ended up in another out of Green Acres, and they collected about seven hundred pounds. Then you'd have a rain ball in one house, clear everything out, and you dance in the kitchen, and you had a tea and a, some cake, cotton cake, and just maybe a slice of bread. And uh, there was plenty porter outside. Never came left into the house. No, 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 no spirits. You had another one, then Biddy Ball, on the first of for the St. Bridges Day, the first of, of uh, February, and the Kerry is very much for that. So the fun from the, here, you just go north over the border of the Kerry and collect around the local glen and have a small ball, as they call it. You wouldn't have that much to drink, but but you know you had to. It was very well supervised, and the houses were there, and there were fellows who, who would come up from the pub late, maybe when the pubs are closed in Kilkel. They weren't sort of. They had to up front before they be get a drink at all, you know, like that they weren't, they didn't contribute to our... But do, do you know Timmy Long? Or? Well, Timmy, uh, Noel Buck introduced, brought Timmy to Bentley, they wanted, people wanted to sit teaching. I can't remember what years they were, but he was teaching in the, what we call the parochial hall, and it was on a Saturday night, I think, and uh, I encouraged my daughter and and uh, my three, three, well, two boys especially, into it. And they learned the sets there. And when I came in, when I could play, he used to be playing what I'm doing there now. And he'd just give the bick, and you'd start off. And then when he'd one, and nodded head, and you'd just stop at the time. But when he'd be doing a small part of the set, like uh, he'd, I'd start off, and he'd, he'd, you'd, you'd see he'd just give one twiddle of the toe, and I would see twiddling right, and you'd stop, you know. He said, You're not dancing. He said, The player can play to people who aren't dancing properly. <laughs> Well, I spent three winters at that with him, and then um, out at um, they had the Crack by the Coast, which was in Kilcoyne. It was a festival of music at Easter, 
Saturday night, Sunday night and Monday night. Well, they were at it by the October. We just play in the White House, myself and a friend of mine from Bentley, Johnny Sweeney and Johnny Hockley. And the, the White House had a, a car garage out the back. They cleaned out the floor, polished it off and put it a temporary sort of just a stage up and battle the portal behind. And we'd be sitting up on that and dance away till 2 o'clock in the morning, you know. Yeah. But, you know, there's a spell in everything, like after a number of years, people get older and move on and so on. And do you think it will stay now? Oh, it'll stay because there's so there are classes everywhere and there's music classes. The only thing that saddens me is that um, there are so many classes and I took all my children to them. We did the tin whistle and they did the fiddle and the flute. They can play, but uh, when it comes to playing for dancing, they're shy. And they say, oh, sure, look, he's better at, he's more, you know, more, more used to doing it. And, and um, they all play in, um, for, for uh, you know, a session of music, which is beautiful. But a session of music is not a dancing music, you know. If you ever listen tightly to it, the right beat isn't there for dancing. You have to kind of put a, some bit of a punch into it. Bit of a lift. Ma- well, the Boran will do it. Right. Yeah, you know, a good intent with the Boran will, will set the tempo, like, if he, when he, if he... But I think he has to be a dancer, too. <laughs> Coming down, I said. I didn't want to have artificial slice on my roof. So I, um... Stripped slice off of old roofs. Keep, uh, keep the thing in pattern, you know? And, uh, but they weren't practical, the rain was coming up underneath them. Roofing, you know. But I didn't want to throw away the slates. So, um, I did this kind of thing on the floor. That's great. The flowers in the kitchen. And you know, that wasn't a design feature. So that takes up about nine slates. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And it takes up about space of about 11 slates. So it was. And all this, is, all I knew, knew all these is trees. Yeah. Where, where were they growing? Uh, this one was growing in Anoiga um, in Kalani. And it was di- It was one of two, and they were dying standing up, and I was watching limbs fall off it. And so I said, that tree's going to fall on someone, and um, would you let me take it? So they got permission from the high office, and I made a deal with them that I'd take the tree, I'd make them something from the tree, but I would also plant five oaks where the tree stood. Now four of those oaks survived, so that's not too bad. I planted oaks up here, if you look at the back. This is dead in Ireland, they're dead in the Saggots. And there's not an oak tree around, you know? So I put down about a hundred oak up there, you know? And if there's someone in the area uh, getting settled or something like that, the, the, the oak tree's now 17 years old, so they're really settled. So I said, if you can get someone up to dig out the root ball, you can have them as a kind of a Hansel present, you know? Been an interesting life so far. Yeah. And then discovering the timber. When did you discover that? When I built this. When you built this house? Yeah. If I want if I wanted to build it, I'd literally make it, you know. You you uh, you retained the original shape. Yeah, because it was I if I got a tree, uh, before I could get another one, the money to get let's use everything. Like underneath there, see the first cuts of the the first cut off the tree, see? And I like natural shapes too, you know, because, you know, there's some, so much in life is so straight, square corners and straight lines. You've got a great curve system going on downstairs. That's right, yeah, because um, I, I love old houses, but the one thing I don't like about them is they're very dreary. 
and they were just completely practical for sleeping, eating, in some cases not even washing, but eating and sleeping, you know. So we wanted an open plan house, but um, but I wanted daylight, you know, and this house was burned down before we got it. That gable was stove in, the, the, where the sunrise is there. That's inside in the bedroom. There's glass from floor to ceiling because it catches the sun in the morning. Because it's built onto the side of a mountain, I've all those stones were lifted there by hand. As I said, like when we came here, we, we had little or no money, so we rolled up the sleeves. When did you come here? Twenty-two years ago. Oh. And we're still—I still have work to do. It's like the fourth bridge; I have to start again. Kido, you're gonna be famous. You have taught her Seth like a tell. <laughs> What time is it kicking off tonight? Nine. Nine o'clock. One couple leaves the set. I'm dragged in to substitute. I listen to what the man calls. I keep him in my sight. I trust him, but I've no idea what lock on means and neither does my partner. When a couple charges our rear, we keep ahead and avoid colliding with the couple in front. It's enough to stay upright and keep moving. Later I ask someone, who's the man? Don't you know him? Haven't you heard of him? He's Timmy the Brit. i tell you exactly how I became Timmy the Brit. I was playing the ball on when I was running the folk, folk club. And I won't mention the ball on player's name. I was playing with Colonel, uh, with uh, Owen O'Reavick, the piper, and no one and friends him to this day. His ball-arm player was on the tear and didn't turn up for the gig in the folk club. And Owen was up playing, about to play, and he had no ball-arm player. And he knew me first name, and I'm not long back from England. And he said, it's Timmy out there, it's Timmy, it's Timmy the Brit. Stop. Although nowadays, where I'm living here now, because there's so many McCarthy's around here, everyone has to have literally have to have a, a nickname um my tax my tax returns it's official the, you find postmen hanging off the trees if we didn't have nicknames you know i'd be getting milk checks and the other friends would be getting contract for a gig like, mm. <laughs> but that you've seen that now that's evidence isn't it and you know the tune's coming you know Wow, did that hit them down? You can't help but dance to me. Wow, did that. What's the word then? Heedy. Heedy place to be, like, you know. And passion, I still have that. It's as fresh as the day I stepped off the old Innis Valley. Concentrated almost entirely on learning the dead sets. Learning how to formulate them and to teach them. And then teach them back into the area. I dance a place, I dance people. I dance a period of my life. It gives me a wonderful feeling in the absence of parents or anything, direct family, to think that I'm 
reenacting something that could have been done two or three hundred years ago by my forebears. And also the big honor of being able to teach that around the world. What in the name of God is wrong with sex? Huh? Between two consensual uh, couples attracted to each other. Not that sex took place. I think there's a deliberate attempt, if you like, to de-sex dancing. You, you can't help but dance when you... I have a lot of idiosyncrasies when I dance. Wow, di da di dum dum. And that's that's what I'm chasing all the time. The unreadable, the unwritable. From day one, there was blackguarding, fun. There was a masculine way of dancing and a feminine way of dancing. And that gave, that to me said dignity. Okay? And above all, there was fun. Uh, Dan Connell is, to me, Dan Connell is the guru, the man. He is just up there with the, in the pantheon of the greats. Man's a national treasure. Dan, Dan would be describing Dan Connell. He used to come up with some funny expressions. He said, God, the fellas in Scarlet Glen would swing their guns so high you could see their laundry marks. So high to see you could see all their laundry marks. <laughs> oh, he's, he come up with he come up with some great. He used to make me laugh. He, the Pipers Club were commissioned to um, make a set. Uh, I think they call it the Tumbler set after the Tumbling Pigeons. And Dan's nose was kind of out of joint. So we were up in Middletown, staying out in. Um, Spanish point, he said, we'll make up our own set. In his 80s now, got well into his 80s now, but even in 70s and whatever, he had a child's mind, a, 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 night, a, 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 child, a lovely child's mind, you know? And um, he used to remember in children's rhymes, and it was this, so we made up a set, and it was called Cheeky Come Cluck, Come Cluck, Come Cluck. And we had to dance to this, and it was a set that went nowhere, Jig set, and the rhyme went, Cheeky come cluck, come cluck, come cluck. I sold my buttermilk every drop. If I had some more, I'd sell it by score. So cheeky come cluck, come cluck, come cluck. And in his later years, he was collecting, um, he told us that they used to gob the, the tunes if there was no music in the house, no musicians, you know? And they used to sing out rhymes, you know, to it. And uh, I gave him one, um, I have a bonnet trimmed with blue. Do I wear it? Yes, I do. When do I wear it? When I can. Going to the ball with my young man. My young man has gone to sea. When he comes back, he'll marry me. Tip to the heel and tip to the toe. That's the way the polka goes. You see? And uh, he gave me one then. Um, with my red rosy cheeks and my dark curly hair. We hammered the road as we went to the fair. With my hands in my pockets, I whistled the jig to humour the road for myself and my pigs. <laughs> and, he, you know, he has, that's, that's that fun element that... Uh, that um, that's what I love about it, you know, that, that it's not showing off. It's uh, 
it's getting together celebrating something that belongs in, and belonged in the uh, in the air for so long and having a volicking good time doing it yeah. and um it isn't often when i'm dancing that um you get the music right and everybody else in the set knowing it because most of my time is teaching but it comes an odd moment and i'm glad it's an odd moment because if it happened all the time i'd probably be fed up with it now but you get this magic comes on you where you energy you don't see you don't feel energy you don't feel energy sapping and you've got this amazing cross current of contact between the music and the other dancers and there's a flow comes into it and you go somewhere where that somewhere is is what i'm at i must ask if there's a word in irish because i, I i've told people about this but i couldn't explain i couldn't explain it but it's just you know when you're there you don't know when it's coming when it happens it's just an amazing feeling and you when the last when it you got this you know and um i run a, a weekend every second november in balbon the cock carry weekend because it's a statement to try and have a weekend devoted to cock and carry south limerick music you know them so we do have a core value of concentrating on the sets of this region and the dialects and all the music and musicians come from the area and they come in from all over the world it's a small one and i don't want it to go too big but they come because they like the polkas and the slides and um on the sunday afternoon we always have sleeve notes playing with donald muffy and it has yet failed me not to get there to that place on a sunday afternoon with those lads playing you know this I remember Donald year before last, no? The last last polka we always played is West Kelly. And Donald stood up. And I, I had my my son here, my two daughters, and we all danced family. Oh, it's just whoa, you know, and the music has stopped and Donald just got up from his seat, walked over to the voice mic and he said, "Tis done." Doesn't get better than that. We're just a, a conduit from what went before us and what's going to come. Um, I just happen to be very lucky, very privileged to have um, had a passion for it and love it. And it's, that's the that's that's the payback. You're the conduit, you know. And um, uh, one of the things that occurred to me recently, um, and it gave me a fright, up until quite recently, I always had a reference. Isn't that right, Dan? Isn't that right, Paddy? Isn't it? And this, but they're all gone. I'm the reference now. Do you understand me? But that only hit me in the face a couple of years ago, you know. And in fact, what I'm doing now, even I'm not the kind of person that's military or you have to do this or anything like quite au contraire. But I think it's incumbent upon me now to re because if people are doing things out of habit. I'm not inclined to keep saying no. You can't do that. You know, it's I don't like being negative. This thing's a whole positive thing. But I have to do it now, otherwise it won't hold. It, it'll vanish in in time. All the nuances, you know, the the way you do the chain, the old of law, the way you. I can't be as casual as I was before. Do you understand me? Because it 
it'll it'll go it'll uh, the best decisions I've made for the way I live and the what I do have not been ruled by logic. I think when you're parentless for that amount of time, you 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 can tune into instinct a lot better. And instincts are a very hard thing to find uh, because there's so much logic out there, you know. I don't want to look over the next hill and climb the next mountain. Do you know what I mean? I'm, this is this is my niche. Like I've arrived at where I wanted to be. You know what I mean? Outside, the crowd huddles against the wind. It's half twelve on Easter Sunday night in Kilcrahan. Behind the shed, a bonfire. The dancers move down to it, stand around it. Rain hisses on the stones. The dances are safe for now, and Timmy has already gone home. <laughs> 